Hi, Damien Marcus from 100 Not Out here. MP. Yes, Damo. We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter the journey of me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo, this beautiful eight-month wellness guide is filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and loved the world over, the journey of me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.wellinux.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Abnormal Psychologist, the show that shares everyday insights into getting the best out of your mind, body, and lifestyle. Now, please welcome your host, The Abnormal Psychologist herself, Carrie Thompson-Casey. Hello, and how are you going? Welcome to another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist with me, your host, Carrie Thompson-Casey, the show where we are giving you the how-to to get the best out of you. And today we are talking to Jane, who is a psychologist and an author of both fiction and non-fiction. So welcome, Jane. Hi there. <laughs> it's lovely to have you. And I absolutely, as I said to you earlier, loved your article in the Insight, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And Insight is a magazine that goes out to psychologists who are members of the Australian Psychological Society. Uh, I think it could also go to non-members if they're... Yeah, but available. not necessarily. Yeah. yeah. And and online I think it's available too, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Jane, tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, sure. Well, um, I'm a psychologist. I work in a university counselling service. I'm at the Uni of Adelaide. Um, so I guess I listen to stories all day, really. Um, I've got a background in teaching and educational and health psychology. Last 10 years, I've mostly been in mental health and writing. And I'm also author, or as you mentioned, <laughs> um, I've published a novel and an anthology, um, children's novel, short stories, a little bit of poetry. And I guess how this all started... Um, I've wavered between psychology and English all the way back to my undergraduate years when psychology won out as far as jobs went. Um, and it was only when I was about to turn 40 that I suddenly realised um, I hadn't written the novel I thought I would always write. Um, but before that, I had had some challenging experiences, experiences let's say, um, through losing my husband in a road accident um, as a young mother in a foreign country. Um, that was a pretty difficult time for me in yes, my sort of yeah. late late 20s, early 30s. Um, but it was about 15 years afterwards, after that event, that I started writing the novel. Um, and it was a novel. It was fiction. It wasn't memoir. Um, and I found that through the whole sort of amazing process of writing and publishing it, I'd managed to put things together in a healing kind of way, though I never really intended it to be that. It wasn't, I didn't go into it as therapy. It was just something I felt I needed to do. As I said, it was fiction. It wasn't a memoir. Um, and I was kind of interested in the, the whole process of how come it was beneficial for me. I sort of had this feeling afterwards that it had really benefited me. And I looked into it a bit further and those findings, what I found were summarised in the article that, that you mentioned um, that I wrote for Insight. It's called um, Storytelling and Story Making, 
an exploration of the therapeutic benefits. Um, so, yes, that, that goes into a few interesting findings um, that yeah, so some, I, I found applied to me. Hmm. I think, and in the article, you talk about how as, after that experience with the loss of your husband that when you started to write and as you just said, you started to find that there was therapeutic benefits in that. But then you hmm. actually found research that I just found was absolutely amazing. I think in the uh, – let me just read it directly yeah. – um, you talked about a study that actually found that when people, or I think it was students, had written after an upsetting event, that there was even showing a boosted immune system um, following writing. Yes, that's right. It's, I mean, that's the classic um, uh, original experiment, James Pennebaker. Um, yes, uh, they had to write for the mo- about the most upsetting event of their entire life for 15 to 20 minutes a day over four consecutive days. And at follow-up, as you mentioned, they found these uh, sort of health benefits and they replicated that study many times. Many other researchers have replicated that because it sounds incredible, really. You it know, does, how, yeah. How could that happen, you know? Um, and it's been extended, though, the research to to look at emotional health as well, reduce post-traumatic symptoms, improved mood and psychological well-being. Um, so that's the sort of general um, finding or the state of, of – that's what we've generally found, although there are some cautions, though, as well. And um, I think it's probably – it's maybe fairly simplistic to – to think of the mechanism that might be involved, you know, like it's a there's a catharsis, I suppose, there's a kind of a venting that can happen through writing, but it actually turns out to be not quite so simple as that. It, it's a bit more complex, um, which I found interesting because um, uh, otherwise, I mean, people are often encouraged to journal, to you know, to write things in journals, and while that can be uh, beneficial. What the research is saying is that if you don't put it into some kind of order, um, it can actually leave you with a feeling of sort of loose ends. If you're just dwelling on, you know, sort of negative things that have happened, it's, it's not actually putting things together like a story puts things together. So, so that was one of the more interesting findings that I think I, I latched on to is that it has to have a strong narrative to have any benefit. So it's actually better if you've got a beginning, a middle and an end in your story, whether that's fictional or non-fictional, so, um, for it to have the therapeutic benefit, yeah. So you mean like day-to-day or do you mean in uh, the well, research that they found that when rec- people recalled this speci- specific event um, that when they – journaled about it that there was the beginning middle and end or do you mean like even on a daily basis that if someone writes that yeah yes well I suppose if um I guess the general thing that if people just um vent or if they just spend a lot of time immersed in um the bad things that have happened and and write that all down in a journal it may not necessarily be beneficial because they haven't sort of worked through um, you know, the this, this circumstances perhaps leading up to the event, what happened, the consequences, how they thought, how they felt, how they dealt with the event. If they, had, if they do that, then the research shows that that actually is, is what helps the healing, that they actually sort of integrate um, what's happened into their personal narrative and 
uh, and it provides a kind of a resolution and a coherence by the end if if you're if you're working through that process and and coming to a kind of if you're making statements like you know like oh I understand and I and I realized and um, you know I reasoned and and um, I, I thought this because then you're getting to a, a stage of actually reflecting and understanding and, and finding coherence through that writing, whereas just mere um, sort of spewing it out on a page doesn't always like a factual uh, account, for example, yeah. doesn't necessarily pull it together for the the person. So That's right. I think what you're saying is that there might be the factual details in there, but threading those pieces of fact might be. And when I reflected on that, that was probably the worst of worst moment and I'm amazed that I can sit here and write about this now so there's some kind of yes. um, not even if there's not even an actual resolution but there might be an observation of coping even yes. if it is minimal coping there's still an observation of of survival or coping you know if we're talking yeah. about worst case scenario yes and I, th- I mean that takes time you know people can't always do that they can't always um, have that reflective clarity about their experience and indeed you you shouldn't I mean the the psychological first aid literature says you mustn't push people to tell their traumatic experience if they're not ready for it so that that's a really big caution that I would sort of want to emphasize yeah not all traumas need to be relived and they certainly don't need to be relived at someone's instigation you know if they're if people aren't ready. But but when people are ready, for me, as I said, it was like 15 years later, you know, it was a long time after. Um, so, but when people are ready, then giving them a bit of a structure, you know, like have a beginning, have a middle, have an end to, to what you're writing. This is, I suppose, if they're writing memoir or they're writing the true story about what happened, um, can actually give uh, them much more safety, I guess, in, in their writing. Yeah. I think it's interesting, um, just to digress for a moment, about what you're saying about not reliving the, or encouraging a re-experiencing of the trauma. I think that it's really interesting So a lot of people are still talking about critical incident debriefing, but it, mm-hmm. it's actually, that's no longer the mm-hmm. current thinking no, of psychological that's health. Right. And I absolutely, uh, beside myself sometimes when I hear journalists say to someone, okay, so take us back to that moment when you were yeah. you know, in this very significant trauma and it's like, oh, that is not necessarily helpful. No, that's right. That's um, re-traumatising. It yeah. can be, yes. And I think also in your article um, you talk about that when, um, about memory and integration and how in another study they found – I think, again, to quote the article, it said disorganised sensory perceptions and obsessional ruminations or behavioural enactments um, are are kind of that sort of leftover feeling that happens, whereas once the – there can be a narration of the person's experiences, it may organise the memories into a much more digestible format. That's right. And and one theory is that, you know, if you can – exactly as you say, digest them, put them into chunks, they don't take up so much space, you know, in in memory and they can be kind of parceled away. I guess it's that idea of, you know, being able to sort of deal with something and put it in a in a spot in your in your brain, in your in your memory, um, and not have to ruminate and bring it out again and, and go over it. So so some of the trauma literature, you know, is relevant to, to this and how people actually work through trauma. Um, 
and and for some people writing may help that process there may be a bit of initial distress too and there's another uh, study that I mentioned where you know it's actually is a bit distressing to write about the trauma Um, but if people are ready and that they're willing participants um, say for example people who come into counseling it's a little bit that if they come voluntarily to counseling they're ready to talk about difficult experiences and, and therefore, although it's a bit distressing, I mean, there's many boxes of tissues we have. Yeah, part of our deed in the office. Um, um, if they're ready to, to do that, there's a bit of initial distress. But actually, and that seems to be important for the resolution to, to take place um, following a process of clarifying what's gone on and what's happened and what will happen as a result of, you know, exploring exploring that and I think that exploration of that those themes or that story um, lends itself to you know several of the therapy types that people may have heard of you know particularly with you know CBT where we you know challenge particular way of thinking about or the way someone perceives themselves or perceives um, they're in a dialogue or even perceives events outside themselves. And then, of course, there is narrative therapy, of course, which talks about how we reauthor our stories yes. um, and our story about ourselves or our story about an event. So it, it makes perfect sense to a psychologist yes. around why writing could be so beneficial. But I have to admit, it's not something I've necessarily um, encouraged. You know, I certainly would say, you know, from time to time, is this something you want to write about? I have had clients come in who talk about um, journaling um, and we might tweak that because the journaling might be might be particularly focused on the negative or it might be particularly mm. focused on the facts. Um, and certainly one of the most absolutely powerful, and I've talked about this before with colleagues and perhaps on the podcast, but one of the most powerful things I did was in my first master's, it was a counselling master's, and it was the most amazing um, degree through Monash. But one of the most horrendous task that I really didn't want to do but was most powerful was this writing where I had to write and reflect on where I was at in sessions so what you know what happened during that session that struck me and what things didn't I say that you know it was really very interesting to to develop that reflective skill Um, and the more and more I practiced that because it was a massive very over a very long period of time that particular piece of assessment it was amazing in terms of refining that inner dialogue, which is so important for psychologists in terms of, um, cont- you know, formulating information that comes in all the time through that verbal dialogue. Yes. Um, and being able to be reflective more habitually. So the habit was to reflect quickly and on what's happening, you know, particularly if someone was getting um, upset about something, you know, is this about the story they're telling? Is it because of um, transference, which is counter-transference, which people, it's more sort of therapy terms Mm. we're using there. But, yeah, no, so that was really interesting. So, yeah, I think giving people a structure is is what psychology and what counselling provides I think that you know people people come in and they want to put their they want to make sense of their story they want to put their story into some kind of order you know I mean often people come to psychology or come to counselling because they want to actually get rid of the negative emotions that that their story or their experience has has created for them and and what they I guess end up realising is they can't just 
um, push it away and and get rid of it forever. It, it becomes part of their personal narrative, and but but that's not always obvious and, and and evident to people. So if you can give them a kind of a structure, you know, to tell their story, whether it's through counselling or whether it's through writing, um, I think that helps. Would you suggest a particular structure? So if someone was to listen to this podcast and go, right, tonight I'm going to start <laughs> writing, would there be particular? Well, I think the, the experiment that looked at, um, so the one, there's an experiment that contrasted, people had to write about their experiences and one of them was just like a fragmented condition where they just asked to write about a trauma by listing feelings, thoughts and sensations. But in the, so they contrasted that with a narrative condition where they're explicitly instructed to try and form a narrative about the experience, try and have a beginning, a middle and an end, include the circumstances leading up to the event, what happened, the consequences, how they thought and felt, how they dealt with the event and how it resolved. So the ones in the narrative condition showed improved health indicators, reduced rumination about the trauma. And so it was... So the point of that was that, you know, like the mere expression of thoughts and feelings is not really sufficient for a therapeutic benefit to occur. So telling a well-structured story is, is more beneficial. So so I, I guess that is essentially what I try and do in counselling. And if, if I were giving instructions to someone um, about how to write about something in a therapeutic way, I, I suppose I'd follow that, those guidelines. Yeah. So... Um, there's a, quite a few interesting journals out there. I think I haven't actually spent a lot of time, but I have had a look at it. There's, um, I'm probably going to say it's wrong. It's either The Journey of Me or The Journal of Me by Wella New, and it's quite a big book. And it, hmm. um, it's not, it, it encourages people to write, but it also is about um, health and well-being and reminders about you know improving habits and things like that. But I think. Okay. Um, I'm really glad I came across this article, and I think I am definitely going to start to. Um, <laughs> quote some of your information and, and, <laughs> and talk to clients about about their story because in some ways you know I want to say but I'm going to sort of do a postscript but you know I want to say you know the story is is, is everything it's it, it's everything about who we are it's our story yes. of ourselves and our our legacy the story we want to leave behind you know it's all about it's yes. all about that and I think some people become so stuck in in a story of themselves or um, it goes around in circles yes and I'm um, to use yes. some language from narrative therapy is that dominant conversation that they have with themselves and how how if that's not um, constructive or you know it doesn't even have to be positive but at least constructive yes. or neutral if that story can get to that place then it's a going to be much yes, more productive and safe. Yes. Well, the, the narrative therapy is interesting and I think that aligned a little with what I found. You see, I didn't want to write a memoir. I felt that that was too close at the time and too personal mm. and um, and a, a bit too exposing and revealing. And I, I wasn't really conscious of that at the time, but I chose to write in fiction. I chose to fictionalise it. And later I looked into this and and found that actually using the third person, um, you know, there's a bit of safety in, in distancing yourself um, by using the third person. By that I mean using a he or she, not, a, not, not, not an I voice, you know, mm -hmm. so you, your me became 
a, a character um, and it wasn't entirely me either I made up things <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> fiction <laughs> but so there's some some safety in distancing yourself using the third person well, and what the research is saying is that um, novelists who use the third person actually tend to be more robust psychologically than than say poets who use the first person the I voice and don't have a strong narrative uh, structure in their work like their work can be very po- poetry can be very open-ended and and perhaps a bit unresolved and I, I don't want to offend any poets or or, or scary <laughs> yeah. poets off because a lot you know much of poetry is very beautiful but the research actually indicates that they can be more vulnerable human beings just in terms of their um if you look at the the rates of mental health um, disorders and and um, unfortunately um, suicide um, intent and uh, you know there are many poets throughout history who've who've actually been quite um, disturbed I suppose and maybe the writing um, maybe hasn't helped. <laughs> no, and so I, I see what you mean though because even though you know owning your story is very important and, and valuable. But continually owning, as you said before, if you're only reflecting on the facts or, or the, the dominant theme is the negative or feelings of loss and grief, even though that might be an incredibly important part of your story, um, mm. if it's constantly the dominant part of the reflection um, rather than identifying what may be working or close to working or a slight turnaround even, if that, that has to come into it at some point for it to be yes. helpful. For people to move forward, that's right. And and we know, you know, like very intense or prolonged introspection, you know, is not healthy for no. people. <laughs> yeah. So, so we sort of know that intuitively and, and the research sort of backs that up. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, sitting on the couch or sitting somewhere and being totally absorbed in your own <laughs> thoughts for too long is, yeah. is quite harmful. Now, you mentioned that you have written – now, I don't think it's, it would be fair to, for the listener to not know that you've actually been quite <laughs> awarded in your writing. So you've won quite a few awards with your story. Oh, I, well, modestly, I'll just <laughs> say, I mean, it was uh, the novel Poinciana was shortlisted for a Commonwealth Prize, which doesn't mean that I got the prize. I, I, I didn't get the, the Commonwealth Prize, but it was it was fun to be shortlisted and yes. go to the sort of announcement and all of that. So that was a big um yeah, that was a big plus for me. Um, I guess I really like writing short stories too, and I've had a few of those commended or or um, highly commended. Um, so, the, the, but um, I have to say the the rewards from writing tend to be more personal. I don't think it's a you know it's not something where I, I I'm going to be able to give up my day job, <laughs> as many <laughs> as many people say. But it's it's certainly a a compliment to to my to my counseling and to my psychology I, I, I enjoy I, I mean I have done a lot of non-fiction too I, I, I did content writing um, for the Black Dog Institute uh, a few years back and I, I, do, I write on mental health uh, at work for staff and for students um, and uh, I'm, I'm interested actually at the moment in creative non-fiction which is it's kind of interesting because I sort of started with fiction. I still like fiction, but I've actually moved towards being a little closer to perhaps my experiences through the creative nonfiction, which is telling creative nonfiction is telling true stories well. I know that's the definition. Okay. So it's a sort of a blend of the the truth, like a memoir, but often you bring in other 
um, sort of influences or content and and maybe some more academic or research content into it but it, it the whole thing is a is a is again a story it's a narrative um, based on your personal experience that has to be true um, but brings in other um, you, you know sort of more elements. yeah other elements more sort of academic or or, or other sorts of research you know, or what the findings. Yeah, they're validated or, or adds yeah. to the details. That's, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. tell us a bit about flow because you also talk about that. <laughs> yes. Well, um, I guess many listeners will know what flow is. It, um, I guess flow is that wonderful state when you're sort of, you know, you're completely intensely absorbed in what you're doing um, that you such that you actually even forget to eat or, you know, go to the loo or <laughs> it's a sort of a merging of action and awareness. Um, the, the technical definition, a loss of reflective self-consciousness um, and you lose sense of time. Um, and people who are in flow can feel immensely productive. Um, for me, writing, if I get into flow, it's not always that way. Um, it can be quite hard. You can have a bit of writer's block as well. But um, it, it's sort of, it's got its own energy and you feel like you're, there are a few conditions for flow um, to be, well, for you to be successful and to, to sort of, um, uh, what's the word I want, to increase your skills in a particular area um, if there's a sense of stretch but that you so you're challenged but you're not too challenged you know you feel you're up to the task so um, that that's a sort of very enviable state to be in and 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 for many people um, they will have their own particular area that I mean music might be one or, or dance or art or especially art I think but other people will find flow in, in in gardening or yeah. Um, yeah reading or you know they'll just just be sort of absorbed in what they're doing or studying perhaps is, is a, a classic one you know when when students are in flow you know you know that, that they know that they've got work to do and there's there's a sense of stretch and a sense of challenge but they're going to get there so so and you so say, it's a great yeah. state to be in yes and it can and, be across any from as you say yeah, it can be across imagine. artists musicians athletes yeah. Um, but in the context of writing, um, I love the humour in your article where you talk about the Czech psychologist yeah. um, whose name, and I'll get you to pronounce their name. <laughs> and I, I did pinch that from somewhere, wherever I was reading. I think it was one of the, the big writers in positive psychology. But, yeah, Cheek sent me high. <laughs> That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> so uh, the psychologist, Cheeks sent me high. Very good. <laughs> um, so the talked about creativity um and so that's where so he was the one that sort of talked about flow or was the first yes. one to talk about flow yes first observed it uh, studying cre creativity back in the 60s and described this whole phenomenon of flow and um and just I suppose the positive psychology people have picked up on on this and um you know and studied it and studied how it relates to creativity and and um, and and productivity, I suppose, and achievement. Yeah, yes. so that, that when they're in that state, there's that that pull in that direction, like you like you use the word stretch in that direction, mm -hmm. that they're they're getting achievement. But you're saying that also for flow, there needs to be positive feedback. So that can, does that yes. need to be external, or can it be internal positive feedback? Yeah, that's that's really important. Well, I think it really does need to. I think until 
an artist or a writer or anyone has, has got confidence in their in their skill or their ability, they do need feedback. It's one of the most important things in teaching, really, is to have um, external feedback about your uh, your performance and your effort. Um, yes, effort's important. Yeah, to that effort's that, that growth mindset. We're still yeah. going all over the place here. I think I need to definitely get you back so we can yeah. keep talking <laughs> about some of these concepts. Yeah, yeah. So I think that is really important, and I think that's what writers don't often get a lot of. It's very hard to get feedback. Um, you can send things off, and these days you don't even get an answer. That's your feedback. You know, like you wow. might really think it's terrific and um you, you don't even get a rejection you know <laughs> I, really? I mean a rejection is is sort of terrific if you get a rejection at least you've got, <laughs> you got a rejection something. you know <laughs> but to be ignored is is really yeah the, the state of the art for many or state of play for many um artists or writers um out there so so you have to find the, your own intrinsic rewards um from whatever um enterprise or activity that you are engaged in here here we're talking about writing but yeah. I think it's very important to try and find those intrinsic rewards so, so reminding ourselves you know okay maybe we didn't get that done today but we we made progress so yeah. so yeah. tell me what have you learned about people through your your work and your <laughs> focus on writing well, I think I have learned everything I know. I have learned from people. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've, um, psychology is very useful in understanding human behavior, but I, I suppose I didn't learn in my course, in my, my program, how to be with people. You know, I think that comes from experience and, yes. and probably some maturity in the job. But yes. um, I think being with people, you learn from being with people. And, <laughs> so, and being with their story, you know. I and think I think, sitting you know, with the story. Yes, yes. I think uh, I've learned, I suppose, a lot more about myself through the whole writing process. But I've, I mean, as I've applied it to counselling, I've learned a lot about what's important for people when they're, when they're, um, you know, relating their experience and and constructing their own story. So, what it's, have you learned about yourself? Uh, well, I think I've learned that I'm, I guess, resilient um, in terms of responding to that life event I suppose it's how I got into psychology I wouldn't have perhaps done psychology had this not happened or my master's at least um you know I mean I was working in it before but I think I really just it just galvanized me into wanting to um you know move in this way and work with people in in the way that I work um and what was the first part of the, the That's question? Okay. How about you tell us? What, <laughs> Did I answer the question? <laughs> yes. So, do you have any rituals, like whether they're writing or not? Do you have any tips for people that might be listening about how to keep themselves balanced or focused? Yes. Okay. Well, so I guess for me, um, I I actually when when you were asking this question before, I thought, well, actually, I think probably I, I try and do the exercise, healthy eating type thing. You know, that's, um, you know, I wouldn't sort of say, oh, yes, I write every day. Like some writers will say, you know, I get up at five in the morning and do <laughs> one hour. No, so I don't really do that. I do I, I do make time in my week. I work part time. So I do make time in my week to do the writing. And that that is a, a lovely time for me because I can hopefully get into flow. Sometimes, as I said, I don't always. 
Um, but I, um, one thing that I think I really love is my, I have an outside bath with a view. Oh, wow. And, uh, now that summer's <laughs> coming around, um, that is one of my favorite ways of relaxing and, uh, just, you know, sort of. That sounds very special. Yeah. So that's, that's one sort of ritual I suppose I have as summer comes along. Wonderful. And, yeah, and I guess I spend, I do value my free time, spend time with friends. I think that's really important, so, uh, relationships, family yeah. relationships. Yeah. So, so how can people find you if they, I know that you um, have done speaking and a few different things around the world. Um, yeah, so sure. how can people find you? Well, I guess probably the easiest, I mean, it's jane at turnergoldsmith.com is the email. Um, if you put in Jane Turner Goldsmith, it, it should come up with um, my my page. Um, I, I don't um, I, I don't work privately, but I do run workshops um, for writer centers and festivals or any group and and we do do a lot of writing exercises in them. I've developed some workshops on writing in flow, writing multi-sensory fiction, um, one on writer's block. And a recent one um, at the Salisbury Writers Festival called Write Yourself. Wow. You get it? <laughs> Write Yourself. Very good. Uh, yeah. So if anyone's interested in, in uh, that kind of thing, yeah, sure, um, e- email or if you look up on the website it'll, or, or the article has my email there too, the, the inside article. Yes, I'll put and, it in the, um, the show notes, I think, so that people can okay. find it easily. Yeah, and um, I mean the novel you can is through Wakefield Press, um, but I also have copies. So if anyone's interested to read the novel, to give you an email. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jane. I really enjoyed what you were you were saying about the importance of organising the story um, if you're going to journal and flow. And I've loved having you, the Tap listener, with us today. Please spread the word and tell your friends to listen to and subscribe to Tap in iTunes. And don't forget to give the show a five-star rating if you liked it. If you enjoy the podcast and learning about strategies to improve your mood and psychological health, please check out CarrieThompsonCasey.com and attend one of the workshops or maybe a program that I'm running. Thank you for joining me and see you on the next episode of The Abnormal Psychologist where we share real people's stories and give you real ideas so that you can realize your potential. Take care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.